morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'd like you to join me in your Bibles in Deuteronomy chapter 6. <clears throat> the teacher, <clears throat> excuse me, the teacher was on the phone. You say, Michael has a cold and can't come to school today. To whom am I speaking? And the voice came back, this is my father. Johnny's father said, let me see your report card. Johnny, I don't have it. Why not? My friend borrowed it. He wants to scare his parents. Happy Father's Day. Jimmy Pearsall gave these instructions to fathers on how to diaper a baby. Spread the diaper in the position of the baseball diamond with you at bat. Then fold second base down to home and set the baby on the pitcher's mound. Put first base and third base together, bring up home plate, and pin the three. Of course, in case of rain, you've got to call the game and start all over again. I don't know about you, but when it comes to fathering, I need all the help I can get. Tim Hansel wrote, fathering is unpredictable, untidy, and frequently confusing. That's why there are so many fathers who have children and so few children who have fathers. Where do we look for a role model today? Where do we look when we want to see a father that we would like to emulate? You know, when I grew up on TV, I watched shows like Father Knows Best and Leave It to Beaver. Today I look on the television, and there isn't much there that has redeeming value. The difference is when I was a kid, the father was wise in teaching his children. Today, the kids are smart and the parents are idiots. Where do we look for a role model? The National Father's Day Council named its 2013 Father of the Year. You know who he was? Bill Clinton. I don't know what kind of father he is, but I would think we can do better than that. What does a good father look like? What's the job description of a father? What is a father supposed to do? I've heard people jokingly say that kids don't come with instructions. But I would beg to differ. Children are a gift from the Lord. And this is our instruction manual. Let me just read for you the job description of a father. We find it among other places in Psalm 78. Tell to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may rise and tell them to their children. Now that's clear. A father's role is to teach his children 
the wondrous works of God, the praises of God, the power of God, the testimony of God, the word of God. You say, well, Dan, I thought that was the job of the church. No. The church is simply here to compliment you. If you're a father here this morning, you are the senior pastor to your children. And you will one day give an account to God for them. You say, well, I thought that was my wife's responsibility. No. Hopefully she's a co-teacher, but you as a father are to take the lead. A photographer for a national magazine was assigned to get photos of a huge forest fire, similar to the one we've got going on in Colorado. Smoke at the scene hampered him from taking pictures, so he frantically called his home office to hire an airplane. His editor assured him it would be waiting for him at the airport, and so as soon as he got to the small rural airport, sure enough, a plane was warming up near the runway. He jumped in with his equipment and yelled, let's go, let's go, and the pilot turned the plane into the wind. Soon they were in the air. Fly over the north side of the fire, said the photographer, and make three or four low-level passes. The pilot said, why? And the photographer said, because I'm going to take pictures. That's what I do. I'm, going to fo- I'm a photographer. And after a long pause, the pilot said, you mean you're not the instructor? Dad, you're not the photographer. You're the instructor. You're not just along for the ride. You don't just show up at events to film them with the movie camera. Fathering doesn't take place in a lawn chair with a glass of lemonade in your hand. It is a contact sport. So today I want to talk about how you are to instruct your kids. How you are to carry out your responsibility of teaching your kids. We're going through a series of messages on the Ten Commandments. And when Moses repeated the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel right before they went into the Promised Land, he offers an instruction manual to fathers in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want to read it to you as we start this morning. I want to begin at verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build and houses full of all good things which you did not fill and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt 
out of the house of slavery. I love the For Dummies books. When I go to a city or something, I'll go into Barnes and Noble and I'll pull down the Miami For Dummies because I want it simple. I've entitled this message, Daddying for Dummies. No offense. I'm one too. Because I want to give you five simple ways that you as a father are to teach your children out of this passage. Number one, you are to teach them convincingly. Look at verse 6. He says it's to be on your heart. If you want to convince your children that God's word is true, it's got to be written on your heart. We confuse our children when they see one sort of person in public and another person in private, and they're asking themselves, which one is my real dad? In a world full of phonies, full of counterfeits, full of fakes, your kids need to see a dad who is genuine. They aren't looking for you to be perfect, but they are looking for you to be genuine. You don't have to be right all the time. Just be real. I don't think it's coincidental that in Ephesians 6, 4, where Paul tells fathers to bring up your children, he says to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. He doesn't use the word God. He doesn't use the word Father. He doesn't use the word Jesus. He says in the instruction of the Lord. And if we want to teach our children to know and love the Lord, we have to demonstrate that lordship in our lives. It has to be written on our hearts. They did a survey or a study, really, that showed that most young adults who follow Christ either come from a home where dad and mom were in love with Jesus or they came from a home that was a non-Christian home. What they found was that rarely did a young person sell themselves out to Jesus Christ when they came from a home with an indifferent, apathetic attitude toward the Lord. You know what that tells us? A young person is more likely to come to Christ if he grows up in a non-Christian home than if he grows up in a lukewarm Christian home. And so let me tell you something, Dad. No matter what you say, at the end of the day, your kids won't just hear you. They will read you. And so the question is, is it clear to your children that you consider God your number one priority? Do your children see in the words of verse 5 that you love the Lord with all your heart? I remember a song from several years back that went like this. I want to be just like you because he wants to be just like me. I want to be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. 
I want to be a living Bible Lord that my little boy can read. I want to be just like you because he wants to be like me. Is that your prayer? You may be saying, you know, Dan, this is all well and good, but I've already blown it. I haven't been a good example to my kids, and it's, it's too late. Let me share a story with you. This is a story that Paul Harvey told about a guy named Easy Eddie. He was a lawyer for the mob boss, Al Capone. He had cars, houses, plenty of money. In fact, he lived on an entire city block in downtown Chicago. Easy Eddie had a son named Butch. And Butch had that soft spot in his heart. And something happened to Eddie that's hard to explain. He wanted to teach his son right from wrong. But there's two things he couldn't give his son. He couldn't give him a good name, and he couldn't give him a good example. And so in a move that cost him his life, he became an informant for the government and testified against Capone. And although he was gunned down less than a year later, he succeeded in changing the perception of his family name. His son, Butch, went on to be a World War II hero. He took on a squadron of Japanese planes and saved his naval carrier from destruction. For this, he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor and became the Navy's first ace of World War II. Butch was shot down the next year and lost his life in service to our country at age 29. Next time you fly into Chicago, you can visit his statue and see his Medal of Honor between Terminals 1 and 2. You see, his name was Butch O'Hare. And in the words of Paul Harvey, now you know the rest of the story. I read a touching story about a young child who became very ill. They did exhaustive tests on him, and his father was told the shocking news that his son had a terminal illness. And so the father went into his son's hospital room to tell him the bad news. He began by reading a passage of Scripture, and then he had a prayer with his boy. And then he gently told him that the doctors could promise him only a few days to live. And then the father asked him, Son, are you afraid to meet God? And blinking away a few tears, his little boy said, Not if he's like you, Dad. See, that was a father who taught his son convincingly. Your kids don't just listen to the words you say. They read the words that are on your heart. His little arms crept around my neck. And then I heard him say four little words I can't forget, four words that make me pray. They turned a mirror on my soul on secrets no one knew. They startled me. I hear them yet. He said, I'll be like you. I'll be like you. Second way you're to teach your children is compellingly. Verse 7 says, you shall teach them diligently. 
Raising godly kids is not something that just happens naturally. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, 4, you are to bring them up. You bring them up because they're not going to get there on their own. What ruins most children is not what their fathers do. It's what their fathers don't do. They don't bring them up. And let me say something that should be rather obvious, and that is if you're going to bring them up, you have to bring them through the problems of life. The dad who buffers his kids from all the hurts and all the pains and all the disappointments and all the consequences of life is not fathering. Some dads see their role as bailing out their kids all the time. Some dads see their role as no matter what the problem is, I'll write a check to cover for it. Let me tell you something. Your child doesn't learn anything if you do an end run around the problem. You've got to bring them up through the problems of life so that they are ready to face them themselves. I heard about a man who found a cocoon with a small opening in it, and he sat and watched it for hours as the butterfly struggled to force its body through that little hole. Then it seemed to stop and was making no progress. And the man assumed the butterfly had gotten as far as it could get and was exhausted. And so he decided he would help the butterfly out, and so he went in the house and got some scissors. And he cut the cocoon open, and the butterfly easily emerged. But he noticed it had a swollen body and small, shriveled wings. And so he continued to watch the butterfly, thinking that those wings would expand and the body would contract and the butterfly would fly off, but it never happened. In fact, the butterfly continued to crawl around with a swollen body and little shriveled wings and never flew. You see, what that man failed to understand is that the struggle required to get the butterfly out of the cocoon was God's way of compressing its body and pushing that fluid into its wings so that the wings expanded and that butterfly was ready for flight. And I would suggest that the same thing applies to our kids. No struggle, no flight. No struggle, no butterfly. Moses said, you shall teach them diligently. Diligently is a word dripping with sweat. It's something you have to do to exhaustion. In fact, I would say that a synonym today would be passion. What are you passionately teaching your kids? Conrad Hilton was born in 1887, and for the next 92 years, he built a dynasty of hotels around the world. On his deathbed, he was asked if he had any last words of wisdom. These are the last words he said. Leave the shower curtain on the inside of the tub. If I asked your kids to sum up the message 
that you are passionate about, what would it be? Turn out the lights? Take out the trash? Be sure and hit the cutoff, man? What are we teaching our kids? Are we teaching them what to do with the shower curtain? Or are we teaching them what to do with their lives? Are we simply teaching them how to make a living or are we teaching them how to make a life? See, if we're going to teach them God's message, we have to teach it passionately, diligently to our kids. Third way, you're to teach your children is conversationally. Look at the rest of verse 7. You shall talk with them when you sit, walk, lie down, rise up. Only 13% of households in the U.S. today meet the traditional definition of family. So our government has chosen no longer to use the term family, but rather household. Regardless of what the government calls you, do you have a household or do you have a family? Do you have a house or do you have a home? And the thing that typically shifts a family into a household is the absence of dad. But I would say this, even when you're present, you can be an absentee dad. You can be a negligent dad. You can be an indifferent dad. Dr. Armand Nikolai of Harvard Medical School has been studying fathers and children for years. He made this startling statement. In this country, fathers spend on average about 37 seconds a day with their young children. That is shocking. Half a minute a day fathers spend with their young children. And I know from experience that even when we're there, sometimes we're not there. Woody Allen said, my father worked for the same firm for 12 years. Then they fired him. They replaced him with a little gadget this big that does everything my father does, only it does it much better. The depressing thing is my mother ran right out and bought one. Irma Bombeck had this to say about fathers. When I grew up, fathers were like refrigerator lights. Everybody's house had one, but no one knew what either one did once the door was shut. Today, fathers are being duped into thinking that real men do everything but come home. We are to teach our children as we talk with them when they sit, walk, lie down, rise up. And to do that, we have to be available. 
David Elkind, a psychologist, tells a story of visiting his son's nursery school class. The teacher requested that he come and observe because there was a problem child in the class. While he was there, he caught a conversation between his son and some other boys. The conversation went like this. One boy said, my daddy is a doctor and he makes lots of money and we have a swimming pool. Another boy said, my daddy is a lawyer and he flies to Washington all the time and talks to the president. A third boy said, my daddy owns a company and we have our own airplane. And then David Elkind's son pointed to his father and said, my daddy is here. You see, that trumps everything. What your kids want is not more possessions, more pleasure, more fame. What they want is you. Your kids need to know that you are there and that you are all there and that you are all theirs when you're there. My daughter, Lindsay, when she was little, used to love to talk to me, and, and she just talked all the time, asking questions, and sometimes she would wear me out. And there were times I would be watching the news and listening to her and sort of nodding and not giving her my full attention, and Lindsay would reach up and she would grab one side of my face and the other side of my face, and she would hold on to me, and she, what we, she was saying was, I want all of you. Our kids spell love, T-I-M-E. They want us. They want our time. And we need to be giving it to them in handfuls. Your children learn by walking, talking, listening, playing, wrestling, and watching you. It's been said, if you want your children to turn out well, spend twice as much time with them and half as much money. You say, well, Dan, I spend quality time with my kids. Well, the problem with quality time is you can't schedule it. You can't say, let's have some quality time at 7 p.m. on Thursday. You know when quality moments happen? They happen in the midst of quantity time. You spend quantity time with your kids, and every once in a while you have this quality moment that just jumps up and presents itself. You see, all of life is a classroom, and we have to be there to teach our children because it happens conversationally. Fourth way you're to teach your children is conspicuously. Look at verse 9. It says you're to write them on the doorposts of your house. Could someone walk into your house and know this is a Christian home? You say, yeah, Dan, we got a neon sign out in the yard that says Christian home. We, we, we've got plaques all over the walls with Bible verses. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, let me rephrase the question. Do your children know 
that yours is a Christian home? Do you have devotions, family devotions with your kids? Do your kids ever see you, Dad, sitting down reading your Bible? I grew up in a home that wasn't, my sleep was not a priority in our home. Because at our house, probably at least four nights a week, there was a Bible study, there was a youth group, there was a small group in our home, and I would go to bed as a young child with all kinds of noise in our little house. People would be over in the living room talking about the Lord. I heard it all the time. That was common in my home. It was not uncommon. And it was clear to me that our home was not a child-centered home. It was a Christ-centered home. Do you pray before meals at home, but you don't do it in public? If so, what message are you sending to your kids? See, you are teaching by the TV shows you watch, the language you use, the values you practice. Do you ever go on vacation and you run into another family and you just sense that they're Christians? Not, not because they have a bumper sticker on their car, but because it's written all over them. Love, joy, peace, patience. Starts with dad. Fifth way, you're to teach your kids. It's continually, continually. Moses says, when you're settled in the land and you have a nice house and you have lots of stuff, verse 12, do not forget the Lord. This is a danger. Do not forget the Lord. A big part of fathering is remembering what matters most and reminding your kids. We bring them up, we teach them, we mentor them, and we remind them, don't forget the Lord. The fathers of Israel failed at this. You know what the last verse in the Old Testament says? It's a promise that Elijah is going to come and usher in the Lord. And we're told in the the Gospels that John the Baptist filled that role, preparing the way for the Lord. And here's what the promise says. When he comes, it says, he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. What happened? The fathers of Israel forgot the Lord. And because the vertical relationship was broken, guess what? the horizontal relationship got broken. And the Lord is coming back to restore that, to make the vertical relationship right, restore that so that the relationship between father and children can be right. Fathering is a full-time job, and it's a lifelong calling. And to do it right, you can't forget the Lord. 
I love the example of Joshua. At Kadesh Barnea, he stood in the minority with Caleb and said, we need to obey God and take the land. Sixty-five years later, right before his death, he stood in the minority again and he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Sixty-five years later, he's still fathering and he hasn't forgotten the Lord. The key to fathering is actually the key to life. Don't forget the Lord. That's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because we're forgetful. Jesus said, do this, and when we come and take the bread and the cup, what does it remind us of? The cross. And when we think about the cross, we think about the fact that God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I come and take the bread and the cup, it reminds me of the cross, which is the picture of God's love to me. And that draws my heart back to Deuteronomy 6.5 and causes me to love the Lord back, to love the Lord with all my heart. And when I love the Lord with all my heart, I'm in the place to be that father that he's called me to be. So we're going to close this service by taking communion together. If you're here as a guest, you're welcome. If you know the Lord to participate in this, it's the Lord's Supper. He invited us all to come. Let's pray, prepare our hearts, and take it together. Father, thank you for your love to us. Thank you that you are the example of a father who sacrificed the most you could sacrifice out of love for us to restore our relationship. And Father, I pray that you would challenge us today to love you with all our heart and then to influence and impact our kids and others around us to draw them to you as well. We give you our thanks and we humbly pray in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Mm -hmm.